we haven't talked about is uh, Underworld, in which uh, you had a bit of a fight with uh, Kate Beckinsale in it, didn't you? I did indeed, yes. We were sort of on wires for some of it. We were running up the side of a cage. You know, we're in sort of like tightly bound leather in certain parts of our body. It was... Sorry, but have I watched the right film here? This sounds like, this sounds like a, a bit of an adult movie here. <laughs> Hello, this is your host, Graham Rooney, and welcome to A Performer, A Pint, and A Pod. The podcast where I take you down the pub and we meet a performer, have a drink, and find out the tiddly truth you only get in a pub. I'll be chatting to fantastic performers at all different points of their careers, discussing where they've come from, career-defining moments, and of course, guilty pleasures. All whilst having a laugh, and getting a wee bit pissed. Fancy a pint with a pop star? A whiskey with your West End idol? Or a mojito with a magician? Then join me down the pub. So, without further ado, let's head down to the local and see which one of the nation's top performers is in there tonight. Pint please, mate. Thank you very much. This week, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by Bradley James, an actor who first burst onto our TV screens as King Arthur in the hit show Merlin, and has since gone on to star in American TV series Damien, movie Underworld Blood Wars with Kate Beckinsale, and Bounty Hunters with Jack Whitehall, to name but a few. Not to mention starring in a brand new series coming to Netflix this autumn. Bradley James, hello and welcome to a performer, a pint and a pod. How are you, mate? Well, I'm very well and uh, I should probably start off by saying thank you so much for that wonderful introduction that you've promised me that you'll put in before this podcast starts. <laughs> Obviously, I haven't heard it, but I'm going to trust you that it was very <laughs> flattering and wonderful. So thank you so much. The listeners are not meant to know that that's <laughs> added in after. Look, you're ruining. They you... love a bit of that. Illusion completely gone there, blown. Um, I'm going to make it horrendous now. That's it's going to be the worst intro ever. And I've just and I've just thanked you for it. So uh, exactly, jokes on me. Joke there you on go. me. Flipped it on you straight away. Yeah. Um, what are you drinking? I mean, it is early in the afternoon. We are in lockdown, so sadly we are not meeting together in a pub. Uh, are you are you having a wee pint at the moment? I tell you what, I'm drinking actually. Um, I've got uh. A bit. I've got my. I've, I've seem to have um, brought on this custom of having a you know like those camping water bottles that you get, right? And I now fill these up to kind of regulate me taking on board enough water through the day, and that's only happened because of lockdown, um, where I've suddenly just implemented these things into my life that there's no need for. But I've got, I've been in lockdown, so you know what else was I going to do apart from suddenly make my drinking schedule more regulated. Well, this is fantastic. I think I've probably lost half the listeners uh, with your water drinking regulation uh, that you've just come out with, with your first answer there. Brilliant. Well, if it wasn't, if you were in the pub, what would be your drink of choice? This is, you know, so if people see you in the pub and they want to get you a drink, what would you want them to send across to you? Um, Rooney, you'll be well aware of this. I'm quite boring when it comes to the you know it comes to being in the pub because I don't tend to drink all that much so I'll probably be on a you know like a lime and soda and that's only because 
it'll have some color in it. So it'll look like I'm actually drinking something as opposed to like, you know, just having a, a water, which in a pub, they really serve up to you, you know, with a, with a sort of like grimace on their face. Is there absolute disdain? Yeah. Yes. Like as, from the tap, they don't even let the tap run a bit so that it goes cold first. They just get the first water that comes out the tap, which is probably been sat there for a bit, a little bit lukewarm ice, forget about it. And, uh, you know, you just get this kind of like almost like toilet bowl equivalent of, of a glass of water in a pub. So I've, I've upgraded to like a soda and a bit of lime. <laughs> yeah, well, but at the same time, you know, mate, it paid off because we used to play 11 a side together and we would play up front. Mm. And uh, I was I was the big chubby hold the ball up man. You know, they would kick the ball at me. Yeah, and well, that's what you <laughs> Off do, my right? belly fall to the ground, then I'd just knock it forward for you to chase after because, well, you're lightning quick in an amazing shape thanks to the old lime and puddles of water. There you go. That must That's the secret. If Our careers could have gone in such different directions. If only, you know, if we'd have, if we'd have swapped our drinking habits round, I would have been the, the knock-on <laughs> artist and you could have been the, the sort of Michael Owen. I'm not sure. Round the back. <laughs> I'm not sure you would ever have been the big John Hartson as I've been described by <laughs> many people. Oh, dear. Right, 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 right. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Let's get on talking about your wonderful career, mate. Um, so, first of all, sort of like, how did it all uh, begin? Where did acting begin for you? Difficult to pin down an exact moment, but I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, and every time I sort of found a new school, the first thing I would do, or found a new school, found myself in a new school. I, um, <laughs> this child searching for school. My mum would just leave me to wander off and find a school to go and spend my days in. Um, <laughs> first thing I would do is I would go and basically find, you know, the football pitch and make friends that way. And then I also had this, uh, I, 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 would call it a sort of like a silent calling that just kind of drew me towards you know school plays or drama departments or whatever it was and that was from quite a young age we did um did you ever used to do those kind of like monologue things at school where your whole class gets up and pretty much reads the same or memorizes the same like poem or monologue and then you get like a mark for it no, at my school we weren't even allowed to do drama because uh, if you excelled it. at it, it was guaranteed bullying. Oh, right. Um, well, that's so very thoughtful of them to protect you in that way. <laughs> yeah, you got to remember, I come from like the hills of Scotland, <laughs> <laughs> like in the nineties, where it was like no one did drama. So, like, <laughs> occasionally, I head down to the local town hall and we did the sound of music, and and I wouldn't tell anyone I was doing it. Right. Um, but then, like, yeah, I left and went to drama school. That's where it happened for me. But no, you monologues at school was where it kind of began for yourself. Well, I think what it was, I can, in fact, you know what? There's me saying I can't pinpoint it. I can actually pinpoint the exact moment. I, um, what happened was, my, I moved to a school that must have been six or seven or something. And on about sort of like a Wednesday afternoon, all these kids, like a handful of kids, would just get up and disappear out of class. And I'd be sat there thinking, hold on a minute, why am I sat here like a mug in class? What, what are they doing? Why do they get to leave? And it turned out they were off to do drama class. 
I didn't have a clue what that was, but I was like, I'm signing up for it because it means I don't have to sit here and listen to Mrs. Pierce babble on about whatever it is she's babbling on about. It's clearly talking about. Clearly you didn't listen. listen. Well, I didn't because I then signed up for drama class on a Wednesday afternoon and um, didn't look back really. Uh, Didn't quite comprehend what it was I was doing to start off with, but took to it pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think that's the same where there's there's quite a few people that I've spoken to um that they say that similar sort of thing that is and I think they don't realise that it's something that they can actually do. Really they're just mucking about and kinda of having fun as a kid. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, I used to watch movies as a kid and not really realise I, I knew that I would I knew that there was something I was watching that I wanted to do, I, I wanted to be part of, but I didn't realise it was something that was actually tangible that you could actually do yourself. I, it, it seemed, I remember thinking it seemed like this sort of special club that you had to be invited to. And I didn't know anybody who, you know, had the secret password to get you through the door for that. And Yeah, because a lot of the time, a lot of people don't know about drama schools or not, like, yeah. you don't know anything about It's a very, because so, you know about school. And university, you get your grades to go to university and then go do a job. But you know, the whole drama school thing is like a total curveball side thing. That yeah, um, I had no so, idea about drama school. It wasn't until I do you remember? Did you ever have to fill out the UCAS form? Yes. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a clue until I was sat in um, the computer room at my college, and we specifically had a lesson where we were looking at universities and I'm sort of looking through the courses and I'm thinking to myself I I have no idea what I want to do at university and I remember there was a girl called (laughs) in France I'm sure she would be called Amelie but this was in the this was in the shires at the time (laughs) and um she was called Amelie right Uh, you know a a typical kind of anglicization of uh (laughs) A beautiful French name that we butchered. Um, <laughs> but she said, uh, she was like, well, why don't you go to drama school? And I was like, what on earth is that? And um, she basically sort of then just pulled up all these kind of courses that were on the UCA, uh, UCAS form. And I didn't really, none of it made sense to me, but I was just like, okay, well, that I guess, I guess that's what I'll do. And then I found myself with all these letters saying, hey, come for an audition, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I got to the auditions and you're with all these kids who seem so clued up on everything. They knew they were, (laughs) you know, they were sort of doing like 10 auditions at different drama schools. I hadn't heard of 10 different drama schools. I'd heard of the, the four, I think that were on the UCAS form. And then, you know, names of others started to kind of jump about. And I was like, Oh, maybe I should have applied to more. Um, yeah, I auditioned for three, and uh, one of them I auditioned to do musical theatre. Um, so it was like the two Scottish ones. Then I did Mount View, and uh, yeah. uh, and I I sang like I mean I I think everyone must be watching me thinking this guy doesn't have a clue what he's doing <laughs> because for my musical song everyone was doing Lemes and everything, and I sang Sandy from Greece. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gave it to berry curl as well i mean it was just like what was what i know it was like the only song i knew because obviously greece was on like at three times a year so on telly so that was it 
And I thought, oh, yeah, I can sing a bit of a song. I'm like, well, I'll go for that. Why not? Failed. <laughs> um, so, yes, you, you, you were going to these drama schools. Um, drama Centre was obviously the one you got into. As soon as I went to Drama Centre, I knew straight away that was where I needed to be. And uh, so I, whether that came across in my audition and I came across differently in, in that as to when I was at the other schools, but there was, for me, in my mind, there was, there was nowhere else I was, I was going to go. And fortunately enough, I, uh, I got in and had, you know, three of three fantastic years at that school. I heard like, you know, rumors of a, a few stories about something about a James Bond thing. Um, that you did at Drama Drama Centre? Uh, I made a video of... I basically shot a load of stuff. This was before cameras, uh, phones had cameras, basically. And I had been bought a little, like, handheld camera. Do you remember when Manchester United had sharp view cam sponsored on their shirts in the time when people didn't really know what a view cam was? <laughs> yeah. This was in the days when these were not common, these little handheld kind of video cameras. And I filmed a whole bunch of stuff of my classmates throughout sort of more or less the three years that we were at school. And at the very end of the training, I showed them this video. It was it was a feature length video <laughs> that essentially had the intention of making them all cry on the last day. Thanks to ah, there you go, there you go. Thanks to the nostalgia that they were then hit with, <laughs> and each student in the year had a section. Some had a much larger section than others because, admittedly, some people were were pretty dull in front of that camera, whereas others like <laughs> took to it straight away. And um, so you already knew who was going to make it a TV and film off of this nostalgia feature. Let's just say um, you knew who wasn't going to, um, <laughs> because I was editing them uh, in, in sort of like holidays, like summer holidays and stuff, thinking, wow, these guys, these guys don't work on camera. <laughs> Three years training. <laughs> Three years training. You can't yeah. even do a little nostalgia. Yeah. Two minute bit. Exactly, exactly. But I then had uh, a section that was, um, I had a section that was my own as well. Of course. And of course, you know, why would I, why would I not put myself in my <laughs> You'd own? You'd not do a feature film without yourself. Exactly. It? it would be, it would be a missed opportunity. And <laughs> one of the things that popped up is that there was a lot of, um, there was actually a moment where we were doing a play and there was a, during a tech rehearsal, there was like a spotlight uh, kind of rehearsal going on. And somebody had like a red filter that they were putting over this spotlight. So I suddenly, I suddenly have this idea where I throw someone the camera. I have a word with the person up who's working the spotlight. And then I had a word with, the, <laughs> I had a word with the band who were all a bunch of like really <laughs> talented first years who just happened to be amazing at, playing every instrument going and it was this impromptu moment where I suddenly walked across the stage I think I was wearing a suit for whatever role I was playing at the time and I walked across the stage and the spotlight followed me and then when I hit the middle of the stage I turned and pointed to the audience and then the red filter went over the the light and the band had just played the Bond theme music 
So I had essentially just um, impromptu created my own Bond opening credit sequence. And then I shoved it in amongst all these like clips of me at drama school and ended up having to use, well, I ended up having to use, ended up crowbarring in the Bond theme music to my section in the, in the, um, <laughs> of course. In, the in the, in the movie. In a way. Uh, it's like a self-tape edition that uh, you can maybe use now. Uh, I believe the the next Bond they are on the lookout for. Um, well, I, I did send that um, nostalgic video to Barbara Broccoli straight away afterwards, so uh, she's she's obviously considering me for uh, for the next one. You heard that here first on a performance. True, very true. And a pod. Look at you, the exclusives. <laughs> Um, but after, like, well, actually, I was going to say after Drama Centre, but I believe in Drama Centre because a lot we do, uh, you do showcases at the end of drama school. Um, if uh, people don't know this, basically, you get seen by the industry, we get seen by agents, cast directors, everything. It's like basically, it's your your feels like your one shot to really sort of skyrocket yourself out into the industry, um, but. I believe, if I'm right, you had an agent before you left drama school. Is that correct? It it is, yeah. It's uh, again. I don't know what version of this story you've heard because I've heard different versions of this story, which I was like, <laughs> I've not heard the version. So the version is over to you. There's um, there's a version. I feel like there's a version where I went to a, I went to a party that was kind of like both ex and current drama center student. And this was uh, like a year or two, a couple of years after we graduated. And the story I'd heard is that I had shown my agent to her seat at one of the third year plays when I was in first year and I'd ushered this, uh, my agent to her seat and she went, I'm going to sign you on the spot and make you a star. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never been shown to my seat so well in my life. <laughs> no. God, your enunciation, your delivery, <laughs> your movement. <laughs> Stick with me, kid. I'll make you a star. So I that was, that was one of the versions I heard. Um, what <laughs> happened was I was in... Let me think about this. I was in... My first year at Drama Centre, and I had been given a job which essentially involved me doing one thing throughout the whole show. So let me back up and just say that when you're in first year, you crew the third year performances, as as you'll know, really. You crew those shows for the third years, cheap labour, effectively. And we didn't have to do that at my drama Did school. Did you not? How'd you get away with that? <laughs> we we actually got cameos in their in their uh, big shows. Oh well, we we had that, but we also had to like do jobs in between. So like we were we were also let's let's just call it what it is effectively extras in the plays. Um, but we were also that didn't let us off. Like we still had to you know help with wardrobe or stage managing or whatever it was so we didn't really get that off the hook because we were suddenly mixing it mixed like sort of nudging shoulders with the third years so cut to <laughs> uh the performances and i've only got to be backstage for a total of about five minutes 
that is it. That is my job come showtime because effectively that role was more about the stuff you did leading up to it and all the sewing and stitching or whatever it was. Anyway, I go to the front of house where Phil, who you you know, Phil Cairns. Yes. I go there to, um, you know, try and put him off as he's there trying to smile and wave and, you know, welcome people. And Professionalism as always. As always. <laughs> and I'm there sort of, uh, you know, having a, having a laugh with him. I get this tap on the shoulder and it's from a casting director called Priscilla John. Who's done loads of big stuff, like uh, Mamma Mia. And Priscilla says, do you go here? And I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm in trouble. I've been prattling about. She's about to dob <laughs> me in. But I was like, I have to own up. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. She goes, right, I want you to come in for an audition on Friday. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. That, that could have gone worse. That could have gone a lot worse. That could have gone a lot worse. <laughs> Phil's there sort of seething because he'd been, you know, flashing his teeth at everybody who walked through the door and what have you. And I just came around to have a muck about. And that suddenly happened. So I go along on the Friday and it leads to a situation where I keep going back. And for whatever reason, it keeps happening every Friday. I'm going back. Um, yeah. So I was disappearing on Fridays to go and audition for this movie um and before i knew it uh priscilla gets on the phone to me and she says right here's the deal they want to fly you out, out to la and do a screen test what the hell? and i was like oh okay <laughs> and she says but before you do that you've got to sign uh sign a contract to say that if they want you you'll you'll do the movie and I was like, okay, cool. And she says, no, 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 no. You, you're going to need, you're going to need an agent because they have to go through the contract and make sure you, you know, you're treated fairly and and look after you and everything. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I, I'll go try and find an agent then. She's like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> like, <laughs> such is my naivety of this whole situation. But you are every, like this is the amazing. I always find this transition amazing because you are everyone is so naive and <laughs> like in third year and the first year out, all of a sudden it's just like what's happened sort of thing. Yeah. But yes, so, carry on. I'm well. I'm there thinking this is my. This is like I've only been at the school sort of like three four months. I'm assuming this is just part of the course for for somebody each year. You know, this is just this is just the deal. So. I then go, uh, okay, I, you know, I'll try and find one. She's like, no, 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 you're gonna need, you're gonna need a, a good agent for this because this is, you know, this is a big deal. You're flying to Hollywood; they want to make you a lead in a movie and all this stuff. And I, and <laughs> yeah, goes, to be honest, I, I'm surprised you've not picked up that it's a, that big a deal yet. I, <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I couldn't. I, I had a very high degree of cluelessness in my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't fully aware of the significance of this situation at the time i don't think anyway priscilla introduces me to ruth young and ruth from that point on sort of like you know looked after me from that point on she uh you know sorted the deal out and she said look this this can go one or two ways either you get it or you don't but either way I'd love to, you know, represent you when you finish your training and 
and you know we can work together. So as it turned out, I, I flew out to um, LA, did the screen test, and there was like a month before they made a decision. It was slightly bizarre. I had to sign like an extension because they they didn't make up their mind and what have you. And eventually, I didn't get the part. Um, but as I say, Ruth, off the back of that, was my uh, sort of you know it said that and said I, I want you know. I want to represent you uh, moving forward, and so, and to this day, Ruth is still my is still my agent, and she, um, yeah, she essentially would send me out for auditions in the in the holidays, and I would, you know, absolutely do a dreadful job in these auditions. I was awful, and, <laughs> um, but it meant that by the time I got to it was the it was my very first audition the day after i'd just shown everybody that video um i was my very first audition and i was so much more relaxed by that point and i and that i got that job i was very fortunate because i i'm not sure had that been my first ever audition whether i'd have been in the right headspace to to get that job to impress upon them what i was able to do because i'd been you know thinking about all those early things you're too worried about when you're going for your first audition you know you haven't got a clue what you're doing by that point I had more of an idea and um so and I had an agent behind me who I now had a two-year relationship with um as opposed to having just you know signed with her a couple months before I left school or whatever so I I was in a very fortunate position coming out of drawing school I very feel very um a lot of gratitude towards you know towards her and towards the way I was looked after by Priscilla as well and um you know. yeah but um I, I mean I, I, and that's and that's great and it's I think it's great that you have that mentality but at the same time you've got to be the person who takes advantage of these doors that you get through um it may have been a fortunate occurrence that got you with Ruth Young who obviously um, for the people who don't know, Ruth Young is one of the biggest agents um, in the UK. She's uh, a fantastic agent. I think she represents J- James McAvoy um, and Sam Hewn as well. Um, Corden. She, say? she bloody loves a bit of James Corden, mate. Does she represent James Corden? Every time you go into her office, there's a, there's a picture of him more or less naked on her wall. <laughs> And I think, God, one day I hope to be that naked guy on her wall. Um, That's interesting that she would choose James Corden over yourself. She's obviously got a specific sort of taste. He's uh, Well, what he's done is he's sent her a picture. He's doing a a very seductive pose. I think he's wearing like a pair of Y-fronts. And on the crotch of those Y-fronts, he's written, stop looking at it, Ruth. (laughs) So... Quite, quite typical of the man himself, I would say. Um, so, well, I mean, obviously that <laughs> it's a bit of a different story from uh, you just showing your to a seat. Um, yeah. So, and I would say a much more believable story, that one. Yeah. However, <laughs> there's something magical about the fact that you delivered her to a seat in such a way that she was thinking, this guy's going to be the next James Bond. I must say <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway so you you left drama school and obviously i would say um your big break would be merlin would you say 
Uh, certainly, certainly it was a, you know, it was a job that put me in a, a different position in the industry than I was when I walked out the doors of Drama Center. Yeah. Um, I, I'd worked with the, I'd tell you that, that about that first audition when I'd left, which was for a show called Disconnected. It was a BBC three pilot. They were doing a, they were launching BBC three. This is how long ago it was because BBC three doesn't exist now the way it used to. Um, but when they, uh, a lot of youngsters have just gone, how old are they? <laughs> yeah. First of all, there wasn't phones around in the first conversation. Yeah. Like, and now, like, they're going, what? wait a minute, what, the BBC what? 3 was launched. Three. I thought this was a... Yeah, they because I think it's just online now, whereas in, in those days, it literally launched the channel and they basically spent... They threw a ton of money at doing these pilots. And one of them was essentially a... Uh, skins knockoff because skins had been uh, a huge success and the bbc thought right we'll we'll do our version of that and uh, i worked with a company called shine and the two exec producers there were johnny caps and julian murphy and as we were filming disconnected johnny and julian spoke to me as we were filming it and they said look we got this other show that we're we think is going to be a a, a bit of a hit and uh, we've got you in mind for one of the one of the characters we we think you'd be we think you'd be perfect to play uh, a young king arthur and i was like oh great i mean i just tried to act cool about it i just sort of assumed this is <laughs> yeah. what happened once you were on the treadmill of of work you know that people just come up to you and offer you to talk about your next job so I tried to, you know, try to be cool about it. I was like, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. It's, speak to my agent. I'm sure she'll, you know, set up a meeting or whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Like, whatever it was. Like, <laughs> but again, you know, I didn't have a clue. I didn't have a clue what, uh, you know, what, how, what, what that meant. Anyway, yeah. we finished the pilot. Um, it didn't get picked up. Um, what happened is the turn of the year came. So it was the end of 2007. It was going into 2008. And we'd shot this, this pilot in the summer of 2007. And then I hadn't really heard from them after that. Mm. But the next I heard was just after Christmas, every actor coming out of drama school um, of basically our age group was going in for this audition for this show called Merlin. And I mean, everyone. I, yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. Thinking hang on a minute, I've, I've heard about this. And I, like, my phone did not ring. And I was like, oh, God, was my performance in this pilot really that bad that they've gone from, you know, saying I'm perfect for this role to going, actually, this was... They've watched, yeah, they've watched the videos and gone, yeah. why did, why well, did I, I say that to him? Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I sort of, I thought, crikey, I must have, I must have really balled this up. Anyway, a month or so goes by of, as I say, talking any actor I talked to of our age group around then, they were all going in for this show called Merlin. I can't stress enough how how their blanket coverage of the casting was. Like anyone who'd been anywhere near a drama school, let alone actually studied at one, was going in for an audition for this thing. All right. I mean, I'd just like to stay at this point. Uh, I didn't get seen. Everyone apart from you. 
um, <laughs> went in. I, I, I'd already slagged you off by this point to the producers, so I think that's why. <laughs> right, they, uh, you just like you basically just went fine. Look, I'll do King Arthur, but only if you don't see Graham Rudy. Make sure. <laughs> yeah. Only if you, as, as, as if you can guarantee like, that this guy will not be involved in this project, I will. I'll come and do it. He's a CV headshot. He better not even walk through the door. (laughs) I really walked right into that one. I I wonder if I can dig myself out of this hole. Not to chance. That is it. There we go. (laughs) So then I get this call and it's Ruth. And she says, yeah, there's this show on. Uh, It's called Merlin. They want you to go in for King Arthur, but he's younger. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool, great, whatever, whatever, thinking to myself at last. Um, but then I'm really, then I'm thinking, wow, I, this is, I've obviously got to make, you've got a lot of making up to do here because they, they've been seeing all these people and they've obviously, they're going to have other people in mind now. So I've got to, you know, this is, there's a lot riding on this. And then I get sent these sides. I go in to the offices and the director is a guy called James Hall. And he's like, oh, Bradley, come through. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's that's quick. Like, usually I turn up to an audition and I'm sat in the waiting room for however long and, you know, people forget your name and what have you. And I'm thinking, right. You're really like painting a wonderful picture. There's any actors in the at, at drama schools listening to this at the moment, they'll just be like, what? They forget your name? Yeah, oh, yeah. For hours yeah, I mean, in the hallway? If only that was the worst of it. If only yeah, no. that was the worst of it. He um he pulls me into this room and he then I then find myself like being offered a cup of tea. Um and I I didn't remember that ever being part of an audition. And then he starts showing me these pictures <laughs> of the castle where they're gonna be filming the show at. And I'm I'm sort of looking at this, I'm thinking, I this is really gonna put me off. Like I why is he showing me this? Like, we haven't even read the scenes yet. To get you, to get you in the mood, this is the castle. Well, we, to get you. we sit there, he, show, he shows me the castle, we have a chat, and he says, great, thanks so much, great to speak to you, have a good day. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, okay. So you had a tea, you looked at the castle, you didn't read the scenes? No. No, and off I went, and I I've never been more confused coming out of an uh, like coming out of an audition than that first. I mean, I, I do I call it an audition? I don't know what. Equally, on the other side of it, I'm thinking, hang on a minute, they were they were talking to me pretty casually there. Like maybe, you know, maybe this is a done deal. Anyway, next thing I know, I'm being called in to read with a whole. There's a whole group of everybody. There's like four versions of each character. We're all penned into this room. Um, Matt Smith's in the room. Um, you would obviously go on to get Doctor Who. He's reading for Merlin. We've got uh, all these... Oh, a different version of Merlin. That would have been him. Yeah, yeah. I, I've heard them since explain that he didn't... He doesn't have the same degree of um, innocence uh, that... Colin, who ended up with the role, um, had. And Colin's a fantastic... I mean, they're both terrific actors. Um, but it was interesting hearing that version of why one would get it over the other. And 
uh, it made complete makes complete sense in hindsight. Um, I mean, and Colin came from the world's greatest drama school as well, didn't he? Um, well. that, that is what I I hear from people who went to that drama school. That's correct. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, we've all just had to take their word from it for it. Um, I think I think it was actually ranked like uh, one of the highest, uh, the top five creative institutions in the world last year. Have, so, you, uh, have you started doing rankings for uh, creative institutions? Is that? Is that well, I mean, the rankings were done by me, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I then, so needless to say, I'm in a room with various people who have actually gone on to, you know, you'd see them, you'd, I see their faces kind of pop up in all sorts of things ever since. Because um, they obviously had an eye for, you know, just people who went out into the industry and despite... Merlin not working out for them. They've gone on from strength to strength and done some fantastic things um, since. Um, and uh, they, I, you know, if anything, they're probably disappointed that they ended up with me over all the other authors they had in the room who uh, have. Uh, yeah, I mean, gone I, on. I can't argue. Can't argue that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but that was it. That was it. I found, in fact, even that day, I found myself. I think I read with like two people, and they they sent me on my way pretty quickly. And um, all I would say is that is in no way indicative of you can never read in an audition what they actually think about you because there's so many different reactions that you get. I've only I've only ever had it three times. I keep saying this. I've only ever had it three times where I've picked up a script, and there's been a part of me that's gone, "You're getting this." And that's nothing out of like, um, that's nothing out of hubris of me sort of being like, yeah, I'm so good. It's just that I've had such a connection with the role that I've known from the off what I want to do with it. And I've been able to take that into the room and execute that. And I felt something from them that suggests they've wanted me to do well also. And I've only ever had that three times in my career. And it's, and thankfully it's, it's followed through. And, and that was one of those occasions. So you got the role as uh, King Arthur. How was it filming it, and how did your life change? Because it obviously was a big hit, not only here but around around the world. Yeah, it was the change. I, the change is certainly a, a gradual thing. It's not maybe what people would expect it to be. Um, it was gradual in the sense that we did the show for five years, and you knew exactly when the show was kind of coming out because that, you know, you got a reaction when you were in the street or what have you. Um, you go through this kind of six month period where uh, people would look at you like they sort of thought that they went to school with you or something. Um, you quite <laughs> close your face. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was maybe sort of the most notable change, but in terms of actual, you know, it's not, I don't think it's what people, um, what my impression is of people's impressions of what your life is, is far from the truth. It's not, I guess you would strip away a lot of maybe the gloss that people put over their perception of what your life must be and uh, replace it with a, <laughs> a, a, you know, a slightly more kind of harder working realism that you have to, uh, you have to kind of, um adapt to i guess i'm i'm not sure i'm finding the right words to describe it but whenever you talk <laughs> no, but like i think 
with the public, they see you in something like that and they go, oh my God, that's King Arthur off the telly. And you perceive that your life is amazing and, and acting and everything is just taking off. And you're just kind of flying high and you've got no issues or worries in any way, shape or form, career, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's not the, like the truth of it, you know. When you come out the other side of King Arthur or Merlin, then you've got no job. You've then got to go and find another job, and um, so it is. It's a very strange industry that we're in. Oh, um, you've actually you've sort of hit on something there. Actually, there's there's two things I can tell you about that. The first one is a friend of mine who I went to school with, who I hadn't seen for a long time. I'd been back to go and see my my mum. I borrowed my mum's car, which is a very modest automobile. It's you know, it's in no way flashy whatsoever. And and I, you know, I think I think you could probably outrace it in a go-kart if you if you tried hard enough. Um <laughs> and she'd let me borrow the car. And this guy who I hadn't seen since school, I, I sort of stopped and said, Hey mate, how you doing? Because I'd you know, I haven't seen him for for a while. And the first thing he says was, Jesus Christ, I'd expect you to be driving something flashier than this. And I, yeah. I suddenly, I thought, well, why on earth would you think that? And of course, you know, all he'd seen of me since I'd left school was me swinging a sword round on primetime television on a Saturday night. And, of, you know, of course, like, your mind's going to paint a picture of what that person's life must be like to fill in the gaps around what is a sort of glorified image of yourself. So that was that was one of the indications I had that, you know, people see this profession very differently to to what it is, and that's you know that's fine. That's, there's there's no great sh- you know great shame in that really. Um, the other issue I had, and you sort of just touched on it, is when I finished uh, the show, I then had a period of basically not working that was um, probably about a year and a half, and yeah. that was a year and a half of. <sighs> basically trying to be it was a combination of trying to be clever with my choices but it was also a combination of people just not wanting me people not wanting me for roles that didn't fit into the idea they had in their head of what who I was and what I was and um yeah you know I I'd still in a I, I still count myself very fortunate that I had the experience that I did on on Merlin but it took a hell of a you know a hell of a slog to start to to sort of like have a the next stage of my career really and it and it was a you know a sort of 18 month period of you know a bit of grit in your teeth after a while because your you know your bank balance is only going to look after you for so long and you know you you've you've got to be I, I was no I'm in no way a sort of frivolous person when it comes to sort of financially speaking i you know i feel like i've made relatively clever choices but you know at the same time i'm i'm not scrooge mcduck swimming around in a in a vault <laughs> full of gold coins you know far from it's it strange because actually that's how i pictured you <laughs> <laughs> well i mean you know that's the goal but uh you know <laughs> until until that day comes i'm just going to have to go swimming in regular pools um <laughs> But uh, 
but no, yeah, it is. It is. I think there is that perception from people, and it is the hardest thing. I remember when we used to play the same football team, and I had just sort of finished my sketch show, mm. and it was. It can't have been rough. Like there must have been roughly about the same time that my sketch show was sort of finished at the same time as you finished in Merlin. Right. Um. And I remember, like, sort of just before you joined our team, like every now and again, I would get someone going, "Wait a minute, were you?" Are you the, the ginge from that that comedy show that I was like, that, yeah, like that, yeah. actually that's me. So I was like, well, yeah, that is me. And then they'd run past me with a ball. And I'd, I'd be like, oh, oh, nice one, thanks, mate. Um, and then what I loved is so there was like this lovely thing that I had where I was like, I was like the the the, the kind of famous guy of the football team, and it was really nice. And then you came along, and then everyone's like. Oh my God, that's King Arthur. That's King Arthur. <laughs> I was like, oh, thanks a lot. That's brilliant. <laughs> They're like, who's, who's the slightly overweight ginger guy? No idea. I'm an actor too. They're looking at you and they're like, Christ, Lancelot's let himself go. <laughs> but that is like, I mean, that that was the strange thing that we were probably in a strange sort of similar period of post our sort of biggest things that we did. Um, earlier on in our career uh, then like people kind of known us you certainly know you a lot more as I found out in the football pitch I was like alright okay guys um, <laughs> <laughs> brutal I'm trying to have my nice Saturday afternoon here <laughs> <laughs> and then you end up scoring more goals than me as well I was just like is that it wait a minute I'm, I'm now a sub as well. <laughs> I was like Brad can you just leave my life I've, I've never felt I've never been guiltified so much in in my entire life until I started speaking with you about. Uh, That's uh, why I got you on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. I just give me. A I just wanted now. to get this off my chest. You have ruined really. my life. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Let it all out, my friend. Let it all out. Uh, but then, but then you did vanish from our football team because you 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 went on to do obviously quite a few things uh, after that, and actually quite a lot of. I don't know what to be called, the satanic, uh, like there was vamp- like vampires, zombies, you were the devil. There's a lot in your career that is, uh, yeah, quite from the underworld, shall we say. Yeah. I mean, just tell us about a few of those things. We had, you had Damien, in which you played the lead. Um, it was a television series based on the film The Omen, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I, I tell you what happened is I... Um, I, I was doing trips back and forth to LA, uh, in that, in that 18 months. I mean, I, I'd make that 18 months sound like I wasn't doing any work. It, funnily enough, in those 18 months, you're probably working harder than when you're working on a show. Funnily enough, like you're, you're, yeah. you're auditioning and you're, you're putting so much work into those auditions and you're then having to self-motivate because, you know, you're getting a lot of silent rejections you're you're sort of taking these knockbacks at a time when you're like oh was my only was my only purpose in this industry to play that one character and now everybody's done with me is that the is that the deal the other side to that coin is that you can actually look at it as a as a time to self-evaluate and work on your craft and um you know, just analyze you know every every part of your job and every part of it includes 
what you're doing when you're going into an, an audition, what you're doing when you're looking at a, a script, what you're, you know, what you're, how, how you're coming across as a person, all those things that I guess you didn't, I didn't really have time to kind of consider coming out of drama school because I was so fortunate that I found myself with, with work coming out of drama school. It, it meant that I hadn't yeah. really had that time of development um, on my kind of, uh, personal selling skills I guess and as that was all going on I'd managed to get myself um, I'd managed to to get a visa for the for the states and why that was important is because on it sounds a little bit bizarre and I I, I will tell people to put the violins away but there are not a great deal of parts in British television for people who look like me I, I i think that'll probably sort of surprise a few people but if you if you look at our our leading men they all have a very sort of like quirky quality about them you know you look at your david tenants and your benedict cumberbatches and they all have a sort of quirk about them um mm. and i just i don't fit into that category um certainly not easily anyway and so yeah. i you know i my my options were always pretty limited um in in england and you know heading out to la made a lot of sense because there were there were just more options for me over there more opportunities yeah and getting that work permit suddenly changed everything and um i got a, a manager at the same time i sort of felt like i wasn't being represented the way I wanted to be represented in the States. I, I brought a manager on board and things changed pretty quickly. I got a little, um, a little part in Homeland um, and did a couple, like a, just a few scenes to an episode. I think one of them made it into the, you know, made it into the show. And um, thankfully, yeah, thank yeah, which is a fantastic show. And that's, that's the sort of thing that get you, it's just getting you that little, sort of step up into the American landscape. Yeah. And um, once I had done Homeland, I think a sort of a bit of a run started because I found myself, I took a job on a show called iZombie, which um, I'd said to my, I'd had a, a breakup at the time and I'd said to my agent, I was like, look, just, I need to get out of here. Just, you know, get me something that will get me out of L.A., and yeah. thankfully, this show came. I was filming up in Vancouver, and I had three brilliant. It was supposed to be an episode, and it ended up being three three months worth of filming up in Vancouver. I had such a good time up there. And while that was going on, and I was in just a very good place personally, I um, had a little nudge from my agent about this one script called Damien. And the casting director, how's this for a callback, in England was Priscilla John. And <laughs> Priscilla had got in touch with Ruth and she said, look, Bradley needs to do this, needs to do this, this take because I, I think he's, I think he's perfect for this role. Yeah. And I picked up the script and I mentioned before, there's been three roles that I've had that feeling about. And I picked up this script and I went, yes this this has to happen i've got to you know I, I i know what i'm what i want to do here and um 
and I, I, uh, you know, find myself. They they managed to, they they took me down to LA, um, whilst I was in Vancouver. They managed to fit in a day. Um, yeah, went in the room, sort of felt I I had no nerves. I had no like I was so relaxed because I just felt so good about the part and, and Damien came about and it was sort of on a, you know, you kind of, when you're in that, you, you, there's something that happens when you can go, you find yourself on a bit of a, a, a bit of a role. Like I think there's an expression, something on the lines of sort of work reads work. Yeah. And I don't think that's just because, although this is probably a component where people say, oh, he's working on this. Let's get him on that. I think it's also how you are. I think it gives you a a degree of um, it gives you something about you, something about your energy. Yeah, I think I think we've all gone into an addition with that desperation. No one should have that desperate sweat. It's never good for a casting director to see that. I think, well, uh, funny you should say that because I another <laughs> podcast I did recently. Um, my friend Dan said. He did an audition once and he came out of it and they and the, he was friends with the guy who was um, the director, I think, or the casting director. And he said, he said to him, he's like, level with me. That, that didn't go very well. And he goes, look, there's no deodorant for desperation. <laughs> and I was like, Christ, that's, that's that. <laughs> because there is just that sense in somebody when they, it's not that they, or specifically after that role, it's just they want a job. No, definitely, definitely. And talking actually about additions, what do you say is your worst addition, mate? I, um, I, I'm not sure if this quite qualifies, but it's a recent one that's quite fresh in the memory because um, this is in LA and I was reading a scene which was like a, it was like a couple, essentially the, the, person in the other role when they cast it was going to be you know a, a beautiful actress with a you know spark of life to her sort of uh, i don't know like a jennifer lawrence type you know just that sort of energy about them yeah and the audition had uh, the director the car there was like there was like eight nine ten people in this room to see what you're doing you know the, the the writer was there the producers were there they filled this room and as i walked into the room i'm sort of looking the who i'm going to be reading with and i say hello to the casting director first off and the casting director is the antithesis of what this part is i mean yeah. start as he's a guy um for, for you know second time around he's um aesthetically not someone you'd be naturally drawn to shall we say and <laughs> he's uh and that's so politely put <laughs> and i you know he's kind of like i think he's probably in his 50s so i was like okay so who 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 am i reading with and the casting director ever so casually was like yeah that'd be me and i'm thinking oh great like this is clearly important to these people that they filled the room and you know, they, but what they haven't done is they haven't brought in a, a reader to, you know, try and replicate the role of, of the other person. And, and that happens and you're like, okay, fair enough. 
I'll work, you know. And I think I even made a joke. I went, oh, of course, yes. I, I think I'd said, who's, you know, who's playing my, my beautiful wife? And he said, I am. And I sort of made a joke. I was like, oh, of course, that's exactly who I'd cast. Or, you know. <laughs> Did he laugh? The room appreciated that. Him oh, not too right. much. <laughs> he, I think he, I think he was somewhat confused as to why he wouldn't be cast in this role. Um, okay, you know we've all got yeah, dreams. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no. And we started. He he sort of did this thing where he goes, he he calls action. This is an audition, and he's calling action. Right. And so he'll go. He'll go. And he himself, who's reading wrong, he goes, action. And the the role sort of has a stage direction where she she's sort of like um, being playful with him. And as soon as he says action, he does this really, what I could only describe as a bizarre kind of coquettish, like hand bat whilst laughing. And he, his voice pitches up and he goes, ha <laughs> straight off the bat. And I'm <laughs> thinking, whoa, whoa, what's just happened? Why, how do I react to that? That is, that's not necessarily what I was expecting. Um, the, the entire audition sort of went along those lines with, with him giving it his all to his credit. You know, he put the effort in. And I, you know, in some ways you can say, well, there are some times you go into the room and the person reading with you will be reading sort of along the lines of, Oh my God! I can't believe they are dead. I am so yes, upset. Yes. We've yeah. all had that, you know. That's that's it, it's yeah. You'll always get there's two ways you get surprised that it is like one they're deadpan and you're like oh, and the other way is yes when they go all in. Like yeah. I've seen cast and directors pull out better accents than me, and I, when that <laughs> happens, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, that's an amazing accent. Yeah. Stop it, you chameleon! I'm looking yeah. awful here. I've I've certainly had worst auditions, but they're not quite as fresh in the memory, thankfully. <laughs> that, yeah, that was fresh in memory. Another one just scarred you that much, you just blanked them out. Well, so. there is one, and I unfortunately I, the story involves sort of like a physical representation, but I'll just say Mamma Mia, and every time I see uh, these three guys who were there with me at the time, I yeah. sort of like talk as though we were in the trenches together that day. And um, <laughs> I, it, it was one hell of an experience. Again, with Priscilla John, um, who I, th I thought after that day, I thought I would never hear or see from this woman or see or hear from this woman ever again. Uh, thankfully, that, that wasn't the case. I do, I do love it when when you do an audition, like you've had the certain cast directors, you get on fantastic with, and you meet with them quite often. And like you say, Priscilla's obviously been throughout your career, and then you'll do a certain audition, and you just it's, you finish it, and you look at them and just think, "That's it, isn't it? <laughs> this is like this is the end of our relationship, isn't it? Okay, I'm just going to leave, and we'll just never call. <laughs> it's, we've had a good run." Yeah. <laughs> um, they are the worst you never want to do an absolute stinker of an addition for someone who's really championed you throughout your career yeah yeah because those um, those guys tend to bring you through as well to, to meet the people who are making the decisions and you're representing them 
Like it's not just you representing yes. yourself. Like a casting director is bringing you forward because they are they are doing their own job and they are, you know, they they want to show that they know how to to pluck out the talent and go. There you go. This is what this is. You know, great option for you. So they are willing you to go in there and do a great job because you are essentially the face of their talents. And yeah. when you go in and that doesn't happen, I I think there's probably part of me that feels worse about having let them down than having let myself down oh no without doubt and and what i would say is uh, for any you know actors actresses coming out of drama school that are listening to this um just think about that before you go into an audition okay don't fanny up because you're ruining the casting director's career do okay. not let the go. casting director down, okay? That's coming straight from Bradley James. Okay? <laughs> it's about them. It's not about you. Yeah. It's not enough pressure on yourself anyway. <laughs> There's the casting director's career in your hands as well. <laughs> um, another thing that we've all, I think, we've all experienced, whether it be pre-drama school, at drama school or whatever, have you ever had a moment where Things have gone absolutely tits up, um, possibly on stage. I mean, stage is always the worst with, like, you might go blank or whatever it might be. Have you? Mate, my my stage career has gone tits up, I would say, because I have not been able to get on a stage since I left drama school. Um, so I've my, my theatre career, I, I would love to get on stage. Of course, now as we're talking, that's not going to be happening anytime soon for, for anybody, let alone myself. Um, I, you know, I hope that that opportunity presents itself before too long because I, you know, I'm I'm desperate to get on stage. Are you making you making a call out to uh, theatre practitioners on a performer painting the pod by Bradley James here that he wants to be on stage. Hey, what did I tell you about exclusives on this show? <laughs> I mean, that's the second of thought there. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. I'd say what we've not, what we haven't talked about is Underworld, which uh, was a very big film in which uh, you had a bit of a fight with uh, Kate Beckinsale in it, didn't you? I did indeed. Yes, yes. As you do, hey, there's the day job for you. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, yeah, it's an interesting one off the of the way they did it because I we were sort of on wires for some of it. We we're running up the side of a cage. There's, uh, you know, there's there was. Um, you know, we're in sort of like tightly bound leather in certain parts of our body. It was it was a new experience, but um, have I watched the right film here? This sounds, <laughs> I, this I, sounds like a, a bit of an adult movie here. Yeah, uh, running up and down a cage in tight leather. <laughs> I tell you what, actually, you'd mentioned you'd mentioned something about um, a rehearsal process. The like the most sort of like hazardous rehearsal process that I've ever sort of been loosely involved in. I wasn't there for, and it was while we were doing Underworld and the director knew a guy who did animal work. The idea being that you study the behavior of an animal and you implement it into a human being. She had brought on this guy who specifically did this work and wanted, she was like, hey, she'd sort of offered it out and she'd said to the actors, she'd said, would you, do you want to, you know, have a session with this guy and and sort of, you know, try try him out, do some animal work? I thought it might it might be helpful. And I was like, yeah, do you know what? I'll give it, you know, I'll give anything a go. Why not? Let's let's try it out. 
And I worked with this guy one-on-one. Um, essentially, just I was crawling around like a tiger in this studio for a couple hours. and uh, Classic was, acting there. Yeah, I felt like I was back at drama school and where you're in this kind of very safe bubble and you'll do anything because they tell you it's it's fine. Although, have yeah. you ever seen that? I say that. You must have seen that video of that guy who the teacher is making sort of do like, he's, he's having to like do the noise of a Neanderthal. And, no. oh, mate, how have you not seen this video? It's a guy who I'm pretty sure his career died the moment that this teacher, I think it's, she's maybe from Guildhall, possibly. She's like the voice teacher. And it's a documentary about Neanderthals. And right. or Neanderthals, as she kept calling them, um, and she's getting this guy to do this this noise that a Neanderthal would make, and he's there, sort of like screaming at the camera. She's there manipulating him, and you just watch it, thinking this poor guy um, is going to be remembered for this and only this for the rest of his for the rest of his days. Once again, any students listening to this, they're suddenly going to be questioning anything <laughs> yeah. they do in drama school. They're like, um, it's really safe. They keep telling me it's safe, but she just asked me to do a Neanderthal noise in front of a camera. Um, yeah, no. So anyway, I'm doing this thing as a, I'm, you know, crawling around as a tiger uh, in this room working with this guy. And there were certain things that I did, you know, I learned from it and used. There was another guy who was playing a werewolf it's underworld they're vampires and werewolves in these movies and there was a guy who was playing a werewolf but he was playing um he was sort of in a all his scenes were in a group of other werewolves um i'll dispel straight away it wasn't tobias menzies who was also playing a werewolf but he was very much his own uh sort of like you know he was the main bad guy basically um and this other guy he's in like sort of a group of other werewolves And the director had suggested that the whole group had do do this session together. And he, the the rest of the group was comprised, we were filming in the Czech Republic. And so the rest of the group was comprised of sort of Czech uh, extras who they brought in to be the rest of the, this wolf pack as it were. So he turns up and it's him and a bunch of Czech guys who he's never met before. And they were committed. You know, this is a great opportunity for them as they see it in terms of like really giving it their all for, you know, in any way they can for this, yeah. this movie, this production has come to town. And they're like, yeah, we're going to, this is our shot. We're going to take it. So this guy goes into the room and they're all sort of there learning how to be wolves, essentially. And he's working with them. They're all in their own individual space. And these Czech guys are going for it. You know, they are making like werewolf noises, like wolf noises, kind of howling, absolutely going for it. And this guy's like, oh God, I'm not sure. Christ, these these guys are a bit much. Like I only just, only said yes to this because I didn't want to, you know, look bad in front of the director. <laughs> anyway, they're all doing that. And then the teacher suddenly goes, right and now you're going to interact as a group <laughs> and this poor guy who was essentially like well for, for starters he's he's not uh, an extra so he's kind of like yeah, he's a, well, 
a principal, yeah, a principal in the movie. Yeah, and he has, uh, you know, a status amongst this group. And as soon as his teacher says, "Right, let's let's all interact together," they all make a beeline for him, and they start sniffing him, they start licking him, <laughs> they're like, you know, pouring at him, and he's just in the middle of <laughs> these guys who he's not. <laughs> he's kind of like going. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Group of Czech guys you've never met in your life <laughs> sniffing your butt. Um, <laughs> I've felt for him so much, and I've never been more pleased at my character's solitary sort of status than when I heard that story from this guy as he was being, you know, as his backside was being sniffed um, by, you know, 12 Czech guys who he'd never met before. See, this is the thing. This is the beauty of Hollywood, you know. <laughs> <laughs> People see this beautiful thing on screen, they think, wow, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. When in fact, like, you know, there's actors in rooms getting their arses sniffed. Like, <laughs> this is, this is the, the truth behind it all. Like, um, a group of strangers sniffing his arse and licking his feet. Yeah. Um, but that is where the magic of Hollywood is made, you know. That's the foundation <laughs> there. All right, mate. That is last orders, which means we're going to do some quick fire questions before we go and get in our pint of lime and soda water. <laughs> <laughs> lime and soda party, me. Right, here we go. First up, do you have a hidden talent? A hidden talent? Uh, oh, no, I'll tell you what, my hidden, my, my hidden talent used to be hidden, but it was maths. And then I went and um, advertised on social media, my social media profile, that I was the Junior Mathematical Challenge Award winner for 1998, which is a true story. Well, fair play. There we go. That is a bit of a hint. That's a cracker. Math. I've not heard anything. I've heard some absolutely rubbish answers, but that is a belter. It's, it's potentially the big, the greatest achievement of my entire life. I I hope to one day surpass it but uh, that's certainly up there right next up guilty pleasure guilty pleasure guilty pleasure uh oof. um i tell you what i've had to stop i watched a i watched a series of love island and hey, the I, that's my guilty pleasure mate, without doubt hands down I, well i've 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 banned myself basically because, and I suddenly realized I was like, I am spending every evening of my summer watching this bloody show. What? What on earth is that? You're like, and I, you're like, do you want to go down the pub today? I go, like, are you mad? I love Island on. I'll go down the pub until only until eight fifty-five when I have to leave. Um, yeah, no, I've got to make it back home. Yeah, I. So that was, and I immediately recognised it as such, and uh, have since not watched a, not watched a series since because it was, yeah, it was, it was like crack cocaine in television form. <laughs> All right, mate. Next up, pet hates. Well, Rooney, let's pretend that you haven't um, had to ask me numerous times about this, and this isn't take three. England wearing <laughs> white shorts. Ask our kit is white shirts, blue shorts, and white socks. And at the moment, we've got the most delicious kit. And I really hope Nike don't screw it up with the next kit they're about to give us. Because in the past, for some reason, we found ourselves playing in white shorts. No thank you. 
Well, I'm glad that we finally got to that, and uh, the people listening to this are uh, lucky that, that the fact that I took out the 30 minutes uh, that you took to try and answer this question previously. <laughs> I, honestly, this is the longest ever quickfire question <laughs> in history. All right, next up, your favourite actor. Uh, Gary Oldman, I think. Um, Emma Thompson, also. Who was your idol growing up? My idol, Ian Wright. What a shout. Yeah. He was definitely, definitely close to being mine as well. Yeah. And if you weren't an actor, what would you be? I think it, I think I'd probably be involved in sports to some degree, some form of sports journalist. I I imagine I'd probably be something on the lines of um, uh, what's that Humphreys guy? Jake Humphreys. Jake Humphreys. I imagine I'd be a Jake Humphreys to be honest. Well, definitely. I think there's definitely been a sporting theme throughout this, so that's not surprising at all. Well. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bradley James, for coming on to a performer pint in a pod. Now, just before we go, have you got anything coming up that we can see you in, or you want to talk about? Well, it's funny you should ask that question, really, because I that third role I mentioned two roles where I sort of felt very strongly about them and was fortunate enough to find myself with the part. The third role. I mentioned there's three is coming up on Netflix, hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, and it's in a, a Netflix um, limited series called the liberator, which Brilliant. I'm very excited about. And the moment I picked up the script, the moment I walked in the room, the moment I uh, uh, spoke to Jeb who wrote it and the producers and, and then when I got on set, I've had this buzz about this this project from the off, and it's and it hasn't left me. It's we're going through the sort of post production stage at the moment, and you know the edits I've seen, I made me so proud, which is a dangerous thing to be, but so proud of being a a part of it. And I'm very excited for people to see it. In, in, in truth, even if nobody sees it, I think there'll still be a very high degree of satisfaction for having been involved in it and uh it's that uh i think it's a is that a world war Two drama yeah it's a, it's a true story it's um play a guy called felix sparks it starts off with him bringing together a company of men who at the time would be considered misfits and it turns out that a lot of them were native american or hispanic or sort of like cowboys, considered rednecks, if you will, who the army at the time sort of found it difficult to find a place for because of, you know, obvious um, issues that were rife in those days. And Felix came along and he uh, turned them into a bit of a crack unit, it has to be said. And they, they were quite a force to be to be reckoned with. Um, and I, and Alex Kershaw, who wrote the book describes Felix as the, he's a, he's a world war two historian. 
and yeah. uh, he describes Felix as the greatest leader he's ever he's ever encountered. And um, yeah, that's where the that's where the word pride comes in. I I don't think I've ever felt so much pride at uh, being given a being given a role, and also at the same time been so humbled by you know learning of the actions of not just Felix but the rest of his his men and what they went through during World War Two. I think it puts a hell of a lot into perspective. Yeah, I think any time as an actor you get to do a, a true story, especially something. Uh, like World War or something like that. Um, it's an amazing thing uh, to be part of. Um, so we will definitely watch out for that, The Liberator, uh, on Netflix. It sounds so good off of, off of rolling off of your tongue. <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to give me the voiceover for the adverts, uh, yes, uh, just give us a call. <laughs> Um, Voice Bank London is my representation. I feel like uh, Tom Hanks has the monopoly on World War Two narr- uh, narrator jobs, doesn't he? He seems to pretty much give you the backstory to all of them. I feel like every time there's something in World War Two, he's there. Uh, well, I've, it's been said many a time that I am uh, Tom Hanks and waiting. You are the, um, you are the Scottish Tom Hanks, Graham. Reed. That's that is that is exactly what. I've been here never since I left drama school. We need a really. we need a Highlands version of Woody from Toy Story. Someone get me Graham Rooney on the phone. That that's it. I mean, in lockdown, I pretty much looked like Tom Hanks in Castaway. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I'm very much, very much uh, following in his footsteps. <laughs> All right, Bradley James, thank you very much for coming on. To a performer, a pint, and a pod. It has been a pleasure. Rooney, the pleasure was mine, mate. And uh, I'll get the next round in. So there we go. That was Bradley James. From dicking around in his drama school foyer to being flown to LA. What a whirlwind start to his career. Since then, aside from starring as King Arthur and Damien, he's also crawled around the room as a tiger, and donned some tight leather trousers for a cage fight. Don't miss his new series The Liberator on Netflix, and also catch Bradley's own podcast about fantasy football. Are you having a draft? I'll be meeting fantastic performers in the pub over the next few weeks and months with career-defining moments and secrets from behind the scenes. So make sure and don't miss out by subscribing to A Performer, A Pint and A Pod and follow at Performer Pint on socials. I've been your host, Graham Rooney. Thank you for listening. Please do rate and review. I'd love to hear your thoughts, unless, of course, you don't like me. Then please do keep them to yourself. And remember, no one likes a stingy mate at the pub. So... Share the pod with friends and family. See you next week.